Is God in charge of your life, or is he only allowed on the fringe? Here's Pastor Mark Job. God is not Lord of your life if he's just a part of improving your life. He is Lord of your life only if he occupies the central position in your life that it's clear that your life belongs to him. Welcome to Moody Presents with Mark Job, president of Moody Bible Institute and senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. For some time now, we have been studying the life of Nehemiah, exploring, learning together. And uh, together, as we have opened God's Word, we've seen how to rebuild our world and our city for Jesus Christ. But now it's time to put a little work into our own lives. Yep, we need a connection, a daily connection to Jesus through His Word. Now, if you happen to miss any part of this extensive series, just head to our website at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. And you can scroll back and listen to the entire Nehemiah series. Well worth doing, by the way. For now, though, let's back up with part two of a message that we launched into last week. It's called Rebuilding Your Time with Jesus. Here's Pastor Mark. We've created a generation of oftentimes neurotic, over-obsessed, popping pills, over-caffeinated people because we don't know how to stop, relax, and worship and enjoy our families and relationships. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just kind of nod at me. Now, some of you, that's not your problem. You're like over-relaxed. You need to go out, get a job, start working 40 hours a week. You know, you're just too relaxed, and you get out of that relaxed mode. So there's extremes in everything, right? But what was happening on the Sabbath is that that the people of Israel, they were not guarding the Sabbath. They were out there. uh, They saw that the other people around them were doing business on the Sabbath, and they thought they had an advantage, so they didn't want to lose their business advantage, so they started doing service on the Sabbath, and what happened is that the sacred was being encroached upon. We live in a society where the secular is overtaking the sacred. Where, where, where we have less and less space for the sacred because secular is taking more and more of that. And more and more of our time is being encroached upon by the secular and less and less in time is given to the sacred. And so one of the things that the people of Israel needed to repent of is you need to restore the priority of the sacred to your life. Because if you have no sacred space, sacred time, sacred moments that you devote to God and allow God to speak to you like we're doing this morning, gathering together, then you will become an increasingly more and more shallow, less spiritual individual. Do you understand that? The third commitment that Nehemiah challenged these people to make, it was the family commitment, the worship commitment, and then thirdly, the financial commitment. And I said earlier, and let me reiterate, that oftentimes we've uh, separated the material from the spiritual and we put them in two different realms. But I believe that finances are as spiritual as prayer because our finances reflect our spirituality. The way you save, invest, Give and spend is a reflection of your values and your spirituality. Do you realize that Jesus talked more about finances, money, and possessions in the New Testament than he talked about heaven and and hell all put together? 
Do you realize that the Bible has thousands of verses about material possessions, poverty, our, our perspective on wealth and riches? Why? Why? It's because our, the way we manage, spend, invest, save is a reflection of our values and our spiritual heart. Uh, the Bible says, the New Testament said, Jesus said, that wherever your heart is, there your treasure will follow as well. So never fall into the trap of separating the two. Our finances are a reflection of our spirituality. Nehemiah reminds him of two words that you'll find often in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament, two words that I think uh, merit definition. One is the word tithe, and the second is the word first fruit. Let me start with first fruit. In an agrarian society, the first, uh, the, the, the first reaping of their uh, wheat, barley, uh, whatever their harvest was, that was called the first fruits. That was the first of what a farmer would bring in. And God, to sanctify the rest, basically, to set the priority of their giving in place, what God indicated was that you need to give of your first fruits to the things of God. You know why that was so important? Because in essence, what they were saying is, God, you are central to my life. I will not give you the leftovers. I will give you the, the first the first portion, not whatever's left over. Are you tracking with me? You see, oftentimes we live our life and we live things on ourselves, and then we give God our leftover. God, if I have time for you, I'll give you time. God, if I have leftover finances, I'll give you finances. God says, I don't want anybody's leftovers. I want the central part. I want a priority. Give me priority so I can sanctify the rest of what you do. You are indicating importance and value with the way you give your time, with the way you give your, 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 uh, your finances, you indicate priority and value. Now, if you told your wife, honey, I love you, I really love you, you're like number one in my life. You say, great, can we go out for dinner? Sure, I, I, absolutely. If the boss doesn't call me, if I don't have enough work, if my buddies don't call me for a game, if the neighbor beside me doesn't say, hey, you want to go out, if, uh, if my mother doesn't say, you want to come over for some mole, you know, what, you know, then I will definitely go out to you because, honey, you are number one. You'd say, she would quickly say, wait a second, you know, no, I'm not number one. Hey, that's number seven or eight on the list. I'm not a priority in your life. You're saying that I'm getting the leftovers after all that. I am not a priority in your life. And it's the same thing with God. God is saying the priority of the first fruits and the tithe is, is a New Testament word, but it's more of a mathematical word. The tithe means a tenth. It refers to 10% of what comes in. And so Nehemiah was establishing a pattern in giving that had been taught in the Old Testament, was affirmed in the New Testament, and it's called the first fruits and the tithe. You give first of what you have, and you give a tithe of what you have also to God. Now, every time I teach that principle, it's, it's like for some people that have never been exposed to it, it's like a, a, like a ton of bricks on their head. Like, are you kidding me, Pastor? And that's like, whoa, really big. Well, you will discover if you have been part of this tithing, giving away a portion of your income for a certain amount of time, you will get to the point, like I and my wife are in our lives, where I, I can't envision not giving that away. 
that you'll get into a rhythm of living where you say, you know what, I, I can't even imagine or fathom living without that because there's something good for my soul, for my life, for my mentality, for my spirituality when I don't eat everything up on myself and become self-centered, materialistic, greedy, but I give away a portion of what I have because it's good for me and it's good for my soul and honors God. So Nehemiah... He's gone for 10 to 12 years. He leaves Jerusalem in a spiritual state of revival. The people are, yeah, God, yeah, family, yeah, worship, yeah, finances. We're living for God. We're going all the way. And 10 years later, a decade has gone. Nehemiah goes back to Susa. He has no contact with the people. He leaves them in good condition. And here's what happens. Nehemiah chapter 13 is all about spiritual relapse. Here's what I've noticed about my life, what I read in scripture, and what I observe about human condition in general. Unless we re-engage in our commitments, our tendency is to fall to the lowest level of expectation in areas of our life. I'm glad you got married put on a wedding dress, stated some vows, cried, hugged, did a big hoopla over it. It was good. I'm going to tell you something about your marriage, though. Unless you're intentional about cultivating it and reigniting it and refreshing it, then you will eventually fall to the lowest level of expectation in your marriage. And if you're not careful, you'll end up 15 years later just living in the same house, connected because you have children, business partners because you share finances, but your souls will drift apart, the romance will flee, the, the sense of togetherness will go away, and you'll wake up one day and say, and say what in the world has happened to us? Because there has to be, our cycles is that our heart tends to grow cold and lukewarm unless we ignite it again. People that have good marriages are on a regular rhythmic way igniting their marriages, investing and infusing life and romance and value in it, getting away together, doing things together that cultivate their marriage. If you leave it in neutral, it will decline. Some of you made health commitments at the beginning of this year. And you do it every year. I'm telling you, say, I'm going to lose 30 pounds, and so I'm not going to put four sugars in my big Dunkin' Donuts coffee in the morning. And you know, I'm done with having two chocolate cake donuts every morning for my healthy breakfast. I mean, it's over. So you know, I made some commitments. And, and you know what? Basically, we're, we're, our, uh, we're about our fourth week, third week into the year. I'm not going to have two, but I'll have one chocolate cake donut in the morning. I'm not going to put four sugars, but I'm going to put two sugars in. And here's what happens. We need to periodically be reminded about our commitments that we've made. We need to have incentive in our heart to remind us because if we're not reminded, if we're not re-engaged in it, we will typically begin to decline, not a big step at a time. No one becomes spiritually cold overnight. We become spiritually cold one little step at a time. One step, one step, one step. We don't jump into spiritual uh, frigidity. We 
we slowly go there. And so Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem that he left in a state of revival. It, ten years have passed, and he hears rumors that things aren't going that well, that the spiritual climate has changed. And when he comes back to Jerusalem, it tells us in, in verse 4 of chapter 13, he says, before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. Eliashib had been left in charge of the temple. And it says that he was closely associated to Tobiah. Now, Tobiah was one of the wealthy opponents to the revival that Nehemiah brought about. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, oil prescribed for the Levite singers, gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. So when Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem, what he discovers is that in the very temple of God, the place where they used to keep the, the new wine, the oil, the utensils, the incense, the tithes and offering grain, that Eliashab, the priest, had vacated all that stuff, had invited Tobiah to make basically a temple condo because Eliashab was related to Tobiah and because he was getting some money from Tobiah. So he wipes out, he brings him in. The opponent to revival is now living in the temple. Why? Because the sacred is giving place to the secular. And their spiritual fervency is declining. So Nehemiah comes back. And here's the thing, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes this morning. One of their first things that he does is this. They renounce compromise, purify the sacred, and make room for an overflow ministry. So he comes back, and this is what he says. He said, I was greatly displeased. While I was gone, this is what happened. Verse 8, I was greatly displeased. And so I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. What he did is he said, I want the house of God to be back to its state of function. I want God's things to be in the right place. I want to restore the centrality of the things of God and the priority of the things of God that are being displaced by the secular. I want to put the Bible on top of the newspaper and not vice versa. I, I, I want to put the worship above the little league soccer that happens on Sunday morning to restore the priority. I want to put some Quality dinner time around the table and prayer by the head of the household over the new episode of Lost. I want to restore the priority of the sacred over the secular. I will not allow the secular to begin to displace the sacred because I know I will go to a shallow place. Now here's the thing, Nehemiah was super angry, he was very distraught, very displeased by it, because Nehemiah had been away, and sometimes it takes someone that hasn't seen us for a while to make observations about our life, because we see ourselves every day, and we're not aware of our spiritual decline, because it happens slowly. 
That's Pastor Mark Job, and this is Moody Presents. We're talking about rebuilding your time with Jesus, and the conclusion to the message comes your way in just a moment. Just a quick reminder that all of our broadcasts are available online for you to hear again. And if you happen to miss a program, well, you can always go to moodypresents.org and listen again for free or share with a friend at your own convenience. You can also get in touch with Pastor Mark via email or find out more information on our featured resource and download the Moody Radio app. It's all at moodypresents.org. moodypresents.org. Here again is Pastor Mark Job with more Moody Presents. Have you ever heard of the frog in the kettle syndrome? Okay. They say that if you put a frog in a pan of water and put heat under it slowly. I've never done this. Although I remember as a nine-year-old wanting to do it, saying, let me try it out. But I, no, no, I've never done it. My mom didn't let me. If you put a frog in, and, and you turn the heat just up slowly, very slightly, that that frog will get used to the warm water. You turn it up a little bit more, it'll get used to the warmer water. You turn it up a little bit more, a little bit more. And if you turn it up gradually enough, eventually the frog will lose consciousness and boil without jumping out of the water because its body becomes accustomed to the heat and he doesn't realize that he's boiling to death. And here's a disclaimer. Kids, don't try this at home, please. But that's exactly what happens in our spiritual life. We begin to take steps of coldness and we don't realize it because it's so gradual until an event from the outside or an awakening from God or someone that hasn't seen us in a while encounters us and they say, you know, there's, what happened to you? I mean, at one time you were really fervent spiritually, loved God, uh, your, your life was unfocused. Wow, you've changed the other way. And you see, Nehemiah had been gone for 10 years, so he noticed what needed to happen in their life. And so he says in uh, verse uh, 10, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites, the Levites were the priests that served in the house of God, had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and I asked them, here's the question, why is the house of God neglected? You see, what had happened is that they had got all these priests to leave their fields because they were farmers and brought them back and they said, now you're going to serve in the house of God, the singers, and, and got it all going and there was a centrality, a priority. The community had come around them, but then suddenly they'd begun to lose their priority and they'd be, begun to lose the centrality of the house of God, the people of God, and so they stopped giving and pretty soon all the Levites had to go to, back to their farms to start farming. So when Nehemiah come back, came back, he found himself within an abandoned temple, basically the, 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 the temple had declined, people had scattered, the centrality of the things of God was no longer there. Now keep your finger here and go right uh, two chapters back to the last verse, this, this represents 10 years earlier, go to the last verse of Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, the very last statement, 
This is what the people all said with heartfelt conviction together 10 years earlier. They said, we will not what? Neglect what? The house of our God. That was 10 years earlier. They had said it with conviction. We will not neglect your things, O God. Ten years later had passed, Nehemiah is telling him, hey, what happened to the house of God? What happened to your commitment? What happened to your promise? What happened to your fervency? Ten years later, things have fallen apart. Remember your promises. Remember your commitment. Remember your prayer. Remember that at one time, God was at the center. God was at the core. Remember that one time you woke up in the morning, the very first thing you did was pray. Remember that at one time you wanted to see what God had to say, and you would say if you encountered a tribulation or a trial, you'd say, we got to fast and pray about this. You see, I think one of the greatest challenges of North America Christianity is this. We have added God to our life as one of our many things that help us have a better quality of life. So people have an accountant that does their taxes. They have a therapist that helps them figure out their emotions. They have a teacher that helps them get a little bit more educated. They have their favorite group they hang out with at their favorite bar to keep them socially connected. They have their gym where they feel physically fit. And then they have a worship service where they get a little sprinkle of good feeling Christianity. And they feel if I do all those things, I'm a more healthy, more prosperous person. God serves in keeping me healthy and balanced. And we can buy into that. Hey, you're feeling depressed? Come to church. Get a little sprinkle of Christianity. Maybe it'll help lift you up. But let, let, me, let me say this. That is not New Testament Christianity. Let me erase the drawing board and paint another picture. Jesus says, if you're going to come and follow me, you must die to yourself, not put yourself at the center. Jesus says in this new diagram, he is at the core of our life. And we do not live so that God can meet our needs, but we live to fulfill the purposes of God. And God is not some satellite or self-improvement program that rotates around the centrality of our existence, but we have put God at the core of our existence, and we live to fulfill His purposes, and we live to give Him glory, and our fulfillment and joy are a byproduct of living for Him, not the centrality of our life. Do you understand the difference? God is, is not Lord of your life if he's just a part of improving your life. He is Lord of your life only if he occupies the central position in your life. And once he occupies the central position, then it's clear that your life belongs to him. There's a big difference. A lot of people have God as a part of their life. Very few have God at the center of their life. You are not a New Testament Christian unless God is at the center of your life. Unless you've bowed your knee, released control of your life, and say, God, I no longer live for myself. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Philippians says 
that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that God is a satellite of my life. Is that what it says? No, one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is there a need for God to reignite commitments and promises that have lapsed in your life? You know, it's our hope and prayer that today's message from Nehemiah was really a challenge to you very personally. Specifically, we're daring you to recommit your life to Christ, to stop lapsing today. Hey, what area of life is it for you that needs focus? Let me pray for you and for all of us right now that we might spend some time in the Bible and then live it out, thankful for the grace of God in our lives each and every day. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess there are lapsed areas in our lives, spiritual disciplines we've set aside, maybe a prayer life on the decline, a passion for lost neighbors that has grown cold. We show up in church, but church doesn't show up in us. We're just existing. Lord, we confess these things, and we declare that we are weary of living a lapsed life. We want you in charge, you in the spotlight, you driving our daily decisions. Would you relight the fire in our souls? We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our time is gone for today, but I hope you found this investment worthwhile listening to Moody Presents. Join us again next week. In the meantime, you can head to our website to learn more about this Moody Presents program and so much more about Moody Bible Institute, Moody Publishing, and other programs available like Pastor Mark's daily radio program called Bold Steps. It's all at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Hey, thanks for letting us help you take that next step in your journey with Christ. I'm John Geiger, and Moody Presents is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.